Welcome to Think Arctic, a podcast powered by GCI that tackles the biggest issues facing the Arctic and its stakeholders. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Holly Noland. This is our 50th episode of Think Arctic. And if you think about it, that's pretty impressive. We've had the opportunity to travel to communities in rural Alaska and beyond to speak with legislatures about Arctic policy and priorities, fishing vessel captains about sustainable fishing practices, Alaska natives about connectivity, Arctic youth ambassadors who who really are the future of the Arctic, and the list goes on. It's, It's 50 people long. In this celebratory episode, we're going to take a look back at the key Arctic issues on our guest minds. And then we're gonna tell you what we have planned for the podcast for the future. And, you know, not to spoil anything, but we're gonna do things a little different. Uh, So more to come on that soon. So first, let's take a trip back to our very first podcast interview with Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, right as the U.S. chairmanship of the Arctic Council was wrapping up in May of 2017. The main priority should be never to forget the people who live and work and raise their families in the Arctic. I think we get carried away uh, thinking about the... the, uh, kind of the infrastructure. Oh, we need an icebreaker. Oh, we need a deep water port. Well, think about what a deep water port can, can, can mean to an Arctic. It's not just helping those who are, are transiting in these, in these northern waterways a place to stop and to, to refuel or a safe place in a storm. Think about what it can mean to the people of the Arctic. It can mean lower lower fuel prices. It can mean lower prices for, for your household goods. So you can build a home that is more affordable. You can afford the, the, the diapers and the laundry detergent. And so it, is, it's, it needs to be about the people of the Arctic. That needs to be our priority through everything that we do. Senator Murkowski has also been outspoken about the need for icebreakers and a deep water port. Another guest who had the ocean on his mind, a fan favorite, Captain Sean Dwyer from The Deadliest Catch. So in the crab fishing industry, I think our biggest challenge, which is a similar one to what's happening in the Arctic, is climate change and how to adapt. I mean, we we have to face the fact that the climate is changing and we need to adapt our policies and our science to follow with it. As a fisherman, There are historical fishing grounds that used to have crab in them that don't anymore. And it's directly related to the water temperature. This previous year was one of the warmest years on record for the Bering Sea. So where we used to once find king crab, we're no longer finding them there. They've moved to colder and deeper waters where they like that habitat. So a specific challenge that we're seeing is that the science involved in setting how much crab we can catch isn't necessarily evolving with the pattern of the crab. If the science says, hey, go to that historical spot that we've been going to for 30 years, and if there's no crab, there's no fishery, well, we need to be able to say, hey, that historical spot that's been fishy for 30 years is now warm. You need to move 10 miles, 20, 100, 200 miles and see where that colder water is, then that's what we need to do to make sure we have sustainable fisheries. The crab are still there, we just need to adapt our science to set how we harvest those crab to follow the climate. 
And as the Arctic has changed, like Sean said, opportunity has also cropped up. Bethel's Kate McWilliams told us about Arctic Bell, a consignment business she started because there weren't any places to buy clothes where she lives. Um, you had to fly to the city or order online. And I didn't really think about it as an environmental issue. And it was only until afterwards that I realized how it's kind of created like a recycling culture around clothing, um, especially given our location. There's no place to dispose of clothes. Um, and so it's given people a chance to reuse clothes, um, make them more affordable. And it's kind of allowing people to see that there's like, there's a way to be fashionable in a sustainable way. Any American Ninja Warrior fans out there? You know Cleet's own Nick Hansen sat down with Think Arctic and told us about growing up in his community of about 600 people and how internet helped connect him to the world. How important is having that connectivity? Oh, I mean, it was, it was the backbone of it. I mean, you, you, have to, you have to be connected to the YouTube channels of all these other ninjas and the Instagram accounts of all these other ninjas in order to learn how to train, in order to learn what kind of you know, strategies that I need to come up with, or even just to connect with them through text message or Snapchat or whatever kind of you know, app-based Twitter you might have to use. And without that connectivity, I wouldn't have been able to submit my submission video, which is like the audition tape for getting on the show. I wouldn't have been able to sit, submit my application and it would have just been like, oh yeah, but I could do that, but I don't have internet, so oh well, and I wouldn't be here today. So you look at how important of a role that plays for something that we take for granted. You know, we have connections with our phone, we have con we have accessibility with just our on our smartphone for pretty much everything now, and sometimes we take it for granted. And um, I never forget that, you know, without it, I wouldn't be where I'm at today because. I have to keep my social media alive and I have to keep up with everybody else's social media so that I can learn what's coming next and what new additions they might be putting onto the show that I have to prepare for. And uh, you know, it's, it's important. Do you feel the internet has helped your community stay better connected to the rest of the world? What's the impact there? Um, I think that it's definitely given us a platform to represent ourselves you know, on a broad scale. Uh, people don't realize <clears throat> how little people, other outsiders of the village don't know about our community, like you just said earlier. And, I mean, it gives us an opportunity to share what we do for fun. I mean, people are posting on their Facebook pages about um, their hunting trips. And people are like, what? They hunt like this? Or, you know, they're showing them how to, how we process our food out there and they post pictures of that and some people might think it's gory or whatever but that's just normal life for us and it gives us an opportunity to share that with people that may have never been able to experience it before. It's hard to recap so many memorable guests over two years and 50 episodes. But those were some of our favorite and our fan favorites. But when Think Arctic returns, we are gonna do things a little different. Instead of dedicating entire episodes to one interview, we're gonna dedicate episodes to topics and actually dive into these topics with different perspectives. Think Radiolab. We're really excited about this next chapter for Think Arctic, and we're looking forward to sharing it with you soon. We'll be dedicating episodes to topics like maritime, tech innovation, the changing Arctic, and, and 
so much more. We're also hoping to tell more personal stories, and we might need your help with that. Until then, we want to thank our listeners for joining us for this 50th episode. You can find our regular podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends and leave us a review. Help spread the word. Thank you.